So I'll share uh, one thing I hate. I hate installing IKEA furniture. Like I, 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 like, I like their stuff, it's good value stuff. Sarah and I were just looking at some furniture to get from IKEA. So I love their stuff, I just hate installing it because there's no words, like it's just like just pictures. So when you are looking at the, the instructions to how to install IKEA furniture, you have to have a certain lens of how to view it, right? It's not like I can look at it and be like, hmm, this must be symbolic that there's supposed to be three bolts, but I'm missing two. And it, you don't look at it symbolic, right? It's literal. You, you say, I need these pieces, I need these pieces, and I need to screw it here. Like, it's literal, right? You have to look at it through a certain lens in order to benefit from the instructions of how to build IKEA furniture. So you need a certain lens to read that. You also need a completely different lens to read um, codes for like a city council meeting, like, of, of like as far as what can be approved to build a church on, right? You need to have a certain lens of how to view that, right? Because right now we're praying and attempting to try to get a building, right? But as you're reading the codes as far as what is a city approved or not a city approved, I hope nobody from the city of Doraville is watching this, but as you're looking at the city council notes, you have to know like, okay, but do they really mean this? And, okay, this is approved, but not this is approved. Does that mean we can build a church here or we can't use it at church? So you have to read it through a completely different lens than as you would read the instructions on how to build IKEA furniture. How you read the B-I-B-L-E also requires a different lens of how to look at these collection of manuscripts. So many people begin to deconvert or drift away from the source of life because they come across a verse, they come across some passage in the Bible, and they say, see, that's why I left. That's why I'm not a Christian. This is why those who are Christians are super ignorant because if they even just read what's in it, they would realize how pathetic it is, how, how violent it is, how wrathful it is, this so-called God of theirs. If you do not look at it through a certain lens, then of course you're going to misread it. And hence, the whole title of this series that we're doing during this Lent season is titled opening the senses. And this whole phrase is coming from an ancient litany. Litany is a fancy word for prayer. This is a prayer in which we pray to prepare our hearts and our mind before reading the gospel. The, the church encourages us to pray, Lord, open our senses. We're not reading historical text. We're not reading something allegorical. We are reading divine nourishment. We are reading eternal life. This is why the subtitle of the series, Opening the Senses, the Complexity and Nourishment of the B-I-B-L-E. So I need to open my senses. Let me ask you this question. Which one came first? The Bible or the church? Raise your hand if you think the Bible came before. All right, good. I see some of you like. <laughs> You're right. The church came before the, the Bible. So I, I, the question that many of you guys probably have discussed in life groups, for those who are in life groups, is what did that first Sunday look like? After Jesus ascended and the disciples are all together and Mary and, and all of them are all together and they're looking at each other like, so what do you guys want to do this weekend? What did that first service look like of them being Jews that have now been all in to following Jesus? What did that service look like? So it was the movement of the church. And to be honest, part of the, the fullness of the church birthed the Bible. The fullness of the church, part of the church tradition, is the collection of books and manuscripts and poetry and, and, and records that we know being titled the Bible. Who constructed the Bible together? 
It is the church. So this is why in the first century understanding and the full theology of Christianity, the, the Bible is, an, is one component of the fullness of the church, is one component of us going all in and leaning toward Jesus. It is an integral part. It is where we find the life-giving words of God. But it comes, it complements the fullness of the entire church. So, so this question here that I throw out to you has caused bloodshed, has caused tens of thousands of divisions on this question alone. But hopefully throughout this discussion, throughout this entire series, and if you've missed any part, totally fine. You can check it out on the podcast or on the YouTube channel. It's understand, just looking at history, that the Bible did not just come from the clouds opening up and, oh, the Bible, we should follow whatever the Bible says. It's not that. It's, yes, this is the divine word of God that has been put together, being fused and, and, and convicted by the Holy Spirit through the authors. Yes. But it's not just blindly, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says that we need to look at holistically of how everything connects together. Just to show you, like, how did, like, how does the Bible tie in together? Like, who, how does the Bible tie in together? We've mentioned over the past few weeks, the Bible does not begin with in the beginning. The Bible does not begin on Genesis 1, 1, page 1. The Bible does not begin there. I want to share with you one thing that Jesus kind of like opened up to his disciples and he pulled them aside and he told them this. He opened up his heart and he told them this. Tons of prophets, many prophets, and so many righteous men, so many people have desired to see the things which you see. Peter, Andrew, John, John, Nathaniel, put your phone down. So many people have desired to see what you are seeing right now. So many prophets and righteous men, so many people have wanting, been dying to see what you are experiencing right now. So many people have wanting to see what I did with the five loaves and two fish. So many people have wanting to see that I am the embodiment of the divinity and humanity in one. So many people, so many prophets, so many righteous men, so many Jewish leaders, so many people throughout world history have desired to come to this point in world history. Many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which you see and to hear the things which you are hearing. Hopefully, for many of you, these words should sound familiar. Not only are these the words that Jesus said, but these are also the litany, another prayer in which we pray before the gospel. We're saying, we're, we, we are regurgitating the same words Jesus told his disciples. Many prophets and righteous men have desired to, to partake of what I am partaking of. But then Jesus continues. But as for you, you, 12 disciples, you, and then you, happy are your eyes. Blessed are your eyes, because now you do not have to guess what spirituality is. You don't have to guess what it means to be good. You don't have to guess to, to, to that I, I'm, not, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. You don't have to keep it ethereal like that. You don't have to keep it theoretical anymore. Happy are your eyes. Now you've seen it tangible. Now you've seen it in flesh. Don't over-spiritualize it. I am the embodiment of life. I am the fullness of life. Tons of people have desired to see what you are partaking of right now. Tons of people. But you don't have to guess anymore. You don't have to be allegorical anymore. You don't have to be super spiritual anymore. You don't have to just be like, you know, your head in the sky and just and be all fluffy about us. No, this is reality. This is life. Happy are your eyes. For now they see and your ears. For now they hear. And what do we add at the end of this prayer, which is straight from the gospel? What do we pray? We say these. May we. The brokenness of us 2,000 years later, after Jesus have said this, may we be worthy not only to hear Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what they wrote. Not, I don't want to just hear what they wrote. I want to make sure that I act. I want to make sure that I execute on what I hear. I don't want to just hear. 
I want to act according to your holy gospels. And then the deacon says, let, let us pray for the holy gospel. And the congregation says, Lord, have mercy. And we continue. The church is preparing us to make sure that our mind is, is attentive, that we stand in the fear of God and let us hear the holy gospel. All these liturgical texts is to prepare us that we're not reading something passively. We're not just like, oh, okay, cool, we're almost done. And no, that the church is preparing us. God, I pray, I pray that I'm not just staring at text on a screen. I pray that I'm not just hearing this gospel and, and just waiting for it to be over. I pray that this convicts me. I hope it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I hope it just pricks my conscience. I hope that it leads to some nourishment. I hope it gives me some food that makes me more curious about who God is. This is how the church is preparing us. Some people who are not in the Orthodox Church ask me, like pastors and things like that, they ask me, like, how do you know what to preach on? Like, what are you preaching about next Sunday? <laughs> and I say, I have it made, man. I don't, have to, I don't have to think about what I have to preach about. Yes, the eight is different, but the, the liturgy homily, I don't, have to, I don't have to say, I don't have to, like, flip to the Bible, mm, I don't want to preach about this. I don't have to guess. <laughs> this is a chart of just the readings throughout the Holy Great Fast, or Lent. These are just the readings broken down, not only by a theme for each week, but a theme uh, for one half of the fast and a, and, a, and a theme for the second half of the fast. And then you see the weekdays has a theme, and then the weekend has a theme, and then it all points to a fine point as far as the Sunday gospel. So here is this beautiful lectionary, and which has been put together over the centuries, in which the church is saying, okay, here, Monday is your appetizer. Tuesday, I'll give you a little bit more. And all of this is feeding us, feeding us, feeding us to come to a fine point, as opposed to us kind of just shooting everywhere and just like, there's nothing wrong with that, of kind of like, you know, a little bit everywhere of getting God's word. But the church is holding our hand and moving us in this direction. So this is the beauty of what the church is trying to give us, trying to give us this divine nourishment through his timeless word, but kind of holding our hand through the process. Super trivial question. But last week, we looked at a gospel passage from a first eyewitness, and his name would be? John. Okay, thank you. Whew, that would be a long pause. And it was chapter 4. So today, we're looking at chapter 5, in which St. John records another dialogue that occurs. Again, I said I lied last week. I told you I was going to look it up, but I still haven't. Why did St. John always point out in his gospels? He, he didn't say me or I. He said the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't know. Maybe he just knew that we'll be talking about his record for centuries to come, so he wanted to make sure that we all knew that Jesus really, really loved him. But anywho, so around 90 AD, he records, on average, about six supernatural events in which he witnessed or, or saw firsthand or was right next to those who experienced it. And so um, I want to share with you, last week we looked at a dialogue between Jesus and this woman from the city of Samaria. Now we're going to look at a completely different dialogue in which St. John records. St. John begins this way. This is today's gospel, by the way. But yeah, maybe I didn't make this clear. Last Sunday's 8 and this Sunday's 8 is just the gospel that the church has given us through the centuries, and we're just breaking it down together, okay? After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, not Bethesda, Maryland, a different Bethesda, having five porches, okay? So St. John is just giving us some details here of this encounter. He's, giving, he's setting the scene, all right? He's basically saying, you can fact check me. I'm sharing facts of an encounter that has occurred. I'm telling you the geographical location, so that way you're not thinking I'm just saying once upon a time in a land far, very far away. No, here, here's the facts. 
uh, and these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So St. John is setting the scene for us that here in this, in this city in Bethesda, there is this supernatural event that occurs regularly. Some, some scholars say this happened annually. Some would say on certain Jewish holidays that this would occur, that there would be a moving of the water by an angel. And whoever stepped into this water first was healed. Pause. Jesus hasn't stepped into the scene yet. But here we see God the Father already working in humanity by visible means. God's invisible grace, the remedy to healing, which is intangible, working through elements that are tangible. Are you with me? That now God is working through water to bring healing. God brought healing to the, to the Samaritan woman last week by talking about water. We partake of healing through visible, tangible elements of body and blood. We partake of tangible healing through holy oil. There is a theme I want us to understand. I'm not a math major at all, and I was horrible at math, but I can get this. Human, blank, life. There is Samaritan woman, water, healing. Now we'll see there is a man who was paralyzed. We see water. We see life. The, it, what's, the, what's the middle, what's the missing link? Is something tangible. So sometimes we over-spiritualize my pursuit of Jesus and just make it up high in the sky, but realizing that it is through the visible elements. This is how God uses as his vehicle for healing. So it's not just, Jesus didn't just say, boom, you're all healed. No, he didn't just like snap, he didn't snap or blink his eye and all of a sudden, no, he touched, he healed, he took dirt. He said, give me the kid, give me those five loaves and two fish. Well, he didn't take the, the boy offered it willingly. But he said, I need those items. Jesus could have easily fed tens of thousands of people without a fish sandwich. But he needed something tangible. So this framework, this algebra formula, if you want to call it that, like this is how God works. And us being the, continue, the, the continuity of what Jesus has started, this is the, and this is the, the, the foundation of the first century church, of us using visible items. Some people say, uh, you know, I'm sick, you know, but, you know, why, why does the priest need to come? Why do I need holy oil? First of all, straight up Bible. I mean, it, we see that from the first century. But this is how God loves to work. Can God work without that? 100%. He's not bound by anything. But he loves to work through that. So who are we to then to say, no, we don't need some of these, uh, you know, uh, tangible items in, in, the, in the church? No. God uses them. Is he bound by them? Absolutely not. Okay, I just want to make that clear. Now, so now St. John is getting to the meat of, his, of, of why he's writing this. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity. He's been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a, a long time, he's, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? What a silly question. Of, duh, of course he wants to be made well. He's been sick for, for 38 years. But what is Jesus doing? He's respecting him. He's giving him honor. He's saying, do you want to be made well? Jesus is not going around saying, hey, come here. I'm going to make you be, no, come, come, come. No, he says, come and follow me. Come and see. Do you want to be made well? We miss this. But the highest ethic of love 
embedded in this high ethic of love is respect. You, you have the choice to do as you wish. If I'm twisting someone's arm to do something, if I tell Sarah, Sarah, you better love me, you better, how, how, how is that love? So that high ethic of love requires respect and healthy boundaries. So Jesus is offering, is, 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 is throwing an open-ended question. Would you like to be made well? He's entertaining a conversation. He wants to see where he is at. This is the synergy between God and man. He, gave, he said, Adam and Eve, listen, you can have everything you want, but this one thing I, I'm asking you not to, but out of my love and respect for you, you can choose if you want to eat of that tree or not. That's totally up to you. And God does the same with us till today. He is waiting for us. But it's up to us to come and say, you know what, I am weak. You know what, I am trying to, to fill that void through so many different ways. I am just trying to keep busy. I am trying to find my worth and value in so many other things. Yeah, you know what, I am kind of like brought down by my past. I, I, I do feel worthless because of my sins. Jesus says, come, I have come to make all things new. Come, and I will give you rest. He invites us to life. But it's us, it's up to us to acknowledge him and to say, I'm all in. It requires us to surrender. So Jesus respects him. Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I, I would love to, but I have no man to put me into the pool where the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, like, I want to, believe me, Jesus, I, I'm telling you, I really want to, in my heart, my heart of hearts, whatever that's saying, I don't even know what that means, but, but just deep inside my heart, I, I, I want to, but another one steps down before me. Jesus says, oh, sorry there, tiger. Is that what Jesus says? Here's somebody living behind another barrier. He's living behind another barrier. He wants to, but he has not an excuse. He has a reason. Don't get me wrong, Jesus, I want to, but, you know, I just can't. I mean, you see my condition, and other people jump in before me, and that's just, it stinks, you know. He lives behind this barrier of giving himself an excuse. But again, it's not an excuse. That's his reason. He cemented this narrative of why he's in this condition. Going back to the Samaritan woman from last week, she put up artificial barriers as well. I, of course, I want to. I'm aching. I'm quenching thirst beyond guys, but I can't. But because Jesus, you're a guy. I'm a girl. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We shouldn't be talking. And she puts up this barrier, preventing Jesus to wanting to work within her life. How many of us put up barriers in our lives? And which Jesus is saying, I wish you could put down that barrier, and then we can go to town, and then I can bring life change. Then we can build this intimacy between each other. But we put up a barrier. What is our excuse? What's this artificial barrier that we're putting up? So we totally understand what this guy's doing because if we're honest with ourselves, we put up barriers as well. How does Jesus respond to him? Jesus said to him, A, I need you to rise. B, I need you to take up your bed. And C, I need you to walk. Jesus made it very clear. He asked him to put his trust into action. Not just saying, do you believe? No. Jesus is saying, in the same way Jesus told Nathaniel, the same way he told Matthew, come and see, follow me. He's asking to put their trust into action. Not just in saying, yes, I believe, don't just post it on social media that you're a follower. No, put it into action. Put your money where your mouth is. So Jesus says, okay, I need you to rise. I am the resurrection, so I need you to rise. I want you to take up your bed and walk. Think, just logically, if Jesus, if Jesus was healing someone who has been paralyzed, for almost 40 years, wouldn't Jesus just say, get up, grab some coffee in the back, and have a seat? Why take up your bed? Like, that you've been stuck to that thing for almost 40 years. Why take up your bed? 
Jesus is wanting him to take up his bed and to remind himself and others, this is part of your story. You are not defined by your sickness. You're not defined by your past. But this is part of your story. This is why when you go grab coffee and someone asks you, hey, what's the deal with the, 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 what's the, deal with the, 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 the whole stretcher thing? Why, why are you okay all that? That way they can say, oh, well, see, like I met this guy named Jesus. I don't know much about him, to be honest, but I'm all in. I'm a huge fan, and now I'm, I'm, I'm a big follower of him now. Now that becomes part of your story. That becomes part of his story. So, so many of us, we put on an image to make ourselves look like everything is perfect in our lives, right? We work so hard to make sure that on social media, our highlight reel shows like the best of us. And even in front of others, right? We put on a face, everything is perfect. But what if? What if that we opened up with others? It says, you know what? I know you see this aspect of my life, but like I'm kind of struggling with this. This, my friends, is why we have life groups in church. And I don't want to share the details, but last week in our life group, it was so powerful because we had very open, vulnerable, emotional conversations about people sharing their story. And this, this is what brings life. This is the intent of the hospital. Not fun and games and coffee and smile and all that's cool, all that's great. But it has to be something deeper. It has to be us to be able to share our story. This is why the saints of the church are an integral part of the church. Like, we don't just honor saints like, oh, yeah, they're great holy people, and that's about it. And no, we honor them because we saw their struggle. Their story is what inspires us. When, if, we look if we look deep into their stories, we realize, yeah, actually, I have, this, I have the same struggle that this saint had. Like, th 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 this, this saint struggled with this and that. Yeah, I, I struggle with the same. And if he found victory, I ain't no different. I can find victory as well. This is why we don't worship the saints. We venerate the saints. The word is veneration. We honor them because we want to emulate their life and we can relate to them. Be like, yeah, like they struggle just like I do. A few years ago, I gave a sermon and I, I titled it, My Wife's Ectopic Pregnancy. And I cannot tell you how many people that I've never met and maybe I'll never meet them responded, emailed the church and says, I needed to hear that. They were touched about the story of me and Sarah having a miscarriage and an, well, not, I mean, we're married, but you know, she had, you know, you know what I mean. She had an ectopic pregnancy and a miscarriage and we had to go through that. It was, and I was very emotional. I broke down in the sermon and it touched so many people. I'm not saying that you, your story has to be like this most dark thing, and maybe you're not there yet to share it. But maybe God, maybe, maybe God is permitting this hardship in which you're going through. In order for that to become your story, in order for that to impact others, not the thing that you just kind of keep to yourself, but what if God is wanting to use that story to impact others? I have the blessing, just, just the aspect of my ministry, that yeah, I, I see people say, yeah, I needed to hear that. What if in, in, a, in a personal setting with that coworker, with that family member, with that friend, you share with them your story? Only you know your story. Only you know how you're trying to twist that narrative to make it seem like it's all roses. But maybe the real aspect, the real version of your story can give life to someone else. And maybe, maybe that person will tap you on your shoulder in heaven and say, thank you for sharing your story back years ago. This is what made me think of Jesus differently. This is what made me like, want to be really intentional about going to church. It's because you were honest and real about your story. What if?
Moving on. At that day, yeah, and that day was the Sabbath. So John is really making it clear why he's wanting to point out what day of the week it is. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. So here comes the Pharisees having their own barrier in front of them. And what is their barrier? Okay, cool. Yeah, sure. I know you've been sick for 38 years and you're walking now. But don't you know, in code 4A, you know, B says here that you, thou shall not do any supernatural events or miracles on the Sabbath. You should not be doing that. They were so stuck. They were so blinded. Like they just saw something their eyeballs have never seen. But instead of embracing reality, they were hiding behind another barrier. This is why people say, oh, man, if I just saw a miracle, if I just saw a miracle, I say with all my love to you, I don't think a miracle will change because it's not about the miracle. We might have, we have something else blocking. There's some fog. There's another barrier preventing us from seeing God work. Uh, he answered them, the, the one who had just been healed. He answered them. He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. I, 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 I'm just, I, I'm telling you, I, I don't know anything. I know I was sick. He told me to take up my bed and walk. I said, yes, sir. I didn't ask any questions. I didn't make any sense why I need to carry my bed, but fine, sure. Okay, I carry my bed. He said, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? So, so again, they begin to investigate him and to interrogate him. But the one who was healed did not know who it was. Sorry, did I miss the slide? Uh, no, didn't? Okay. Uh, but the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. So St. John is recording that, that there's a bunch of people in Bethesda, tons of people around the, around the pool. Again, this is the hot spot of town. Everyone's around. But Jesus began to fade away from the crowd because he's noticing some tension is beginning to arise. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. He found the man who has just been healed. Things kind of settled, and they're, they're in a quiet place in the temple. So Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Jesus is telling this guy, go, but sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Why, what, what is, like, come on, Jesus, this is a happy day. Why you got to tell him, like, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you? Like, you're, you're kind of ruining the mood. I mean, you, I've just been healed. I've been sick for nearly 40 years, and now you tell me sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon me? What can be worse? I've been paralyzed for almost 40 years. What can be any worse? Jesus is making a very clear point to us. Physical sickness stinks. You and I both know that. But spiritual sickness is 10 times worse. Physical sickness is temporary, but spiritual sickness, this is what leads to death, not just in this world, but a death beyond this world. So Jesus is telling him, I'm glad you've been healed, but don't let your health, physical health be your priority. Let, allow this to point to spiritual healing. And I want to share with you why this is a big thing in the church, in the Orthodox church, in our liturgical text of how we pray for those who are sick. We don't just pray that someone, God, we've asked this, that you being the, the physician, that you would heal this person. And glory be to God forever, amen. No, we don't just keep it at that. We package that prayer. I want to share with you what's the prayer that the church gives for someone who is physically sick. We pray for them, that God heals them. We 100% do that. But I want you to, to see the end of this prayer. Ask for us too, O Lord, the sicknesses of our souls heal. And also those of our bodies cure. He's saying we're praying for the people that are sick. But as for us too, Lord, heal the sicknesses of our souls. And then our body. We prioritize the soul. Heal the sickness and infirmity of my soul. And then also my body. You being the true physician of our souls and bodies. 
You are the bishop of all flesh. You are the overseer. You are the manager of all flesh. Visit us with your salvation. Visit us with your salvation. Give me edification. Give me life. Give me salvation through this sickness. But I'm asking you, being the true physician, bring healing to my soul and might as well, while you're at it, to the body. But my priority is my soul. This is the language that the church prays. You can apply this language to everything. <laughs> the litany of the travelers, those who are traveling. We pray for those who are, 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 are driving or are flying or are, are, are traveling. We pray for them that they get to their destination safely. But we also pray to remind ourselves that we are all tourists in this, in this world. We're all sojourners in this world. So we pray for someone who's traveling by rivers, lakes, roads, air. We, we mention all those who are traveling by any other means. Everyone, everywhere. But we also remind ourselves, we are sojourners. We are traveling in this world, ultimately wanting to reach our final destination, which is our eternal home. So Jesus is making it clear, just as he was to the Samaritan woman. Go, your life has been transformed. Have your eyes set on me. And Jesus tells this man, cool, I'm glad, I'm glad that you're physically, you're physically well. But go, sin no more, lest darkness comes to your soul. But keep your eyes on me. Let this be our priority. Let us find ourselves in the life of the Samaritan woman from last week and from this paralyzed man. We're not any different than them two. If we're honest with ourselves, we're not any different. We give ourselves excuses. We put up this barrier. And to you, your barrier, your excuse is justifiable. It's, it's, a, good, it's a valid reason. The reason why you don't want to share your story with others is valid. Somebody might judge me. I might... Cool. What if... What if, as we are talking about them 2,000 years later, what if the impact that you and I can make if we came with a vulnerable heart like they did? Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, I pray that these upcoming few weeks as we prepare ourselves to walk with you throughout Holy Week, that we slow the pace of our life, we quiet all the noise and maybe obligations around us. But for us to find ourselves in the Samaritan woman, we find ourselves in the paralytic man. We find ourselves coming to you with our questions, with our stress, with our anxiety, with our pain. And for us to come to you because just as you met them where they are, Lord, we know that you have come to meet us where we are. Lord, we come wanting to put down that wall, that barrier, that excuse. And for us to come to you and say, we don't have it all figured out. We are weak. We're wanting to experience you in a new way. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.